We're still doing all right? Have we warmed up yet? All right, so next Sunday, as we say, it is Ash Sunday. Um, so we are at our last week in ordinary time, which is that, that section of the church calendar where we are encouraged to discover that the ordinary is actually extraordinary, how it's in the messy, the mundane, the earthy, the human, that it's actually in those surprising places that God lives and moves and has her being. And for the past couple of weeks here at the church, We've been looking at some stories in the Bible, um, all of them giving us something to be inspired and challenged by on this journey that we're all on of becoming more human and alive in this world. And this morning, this one is no different. I know I usually like to frame it for you and tell you where we're going, but I don't know. Uh, I I think we're going to end up at a question, uh, but we shall see. Uh, but before we do that, as we get into this story, why don't we take a moment, because this is a time when you don't just hear from me, you actually hear from God, uh, the God who speaks through my words and between my words, under the words. Uh, so let's take a moment to turn ourselves over to the Spirit. So let's bow our heads. Okay, God, so this is your time, a chance when you can give us something to chew on, something that can make us just check out and take us into a place where you know we need to go. So may you take these words of mine and make them yours. May you do your thing. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. So we start with a story that's in the Bible. Uh, Once again, we are picking up from exactly where we left off last week. We are, if we are able to get some altitude on all of this, in the middle of a bunch of really short and snappy stories about Jesus, all of them meant to give us an idea of who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. So a couple weeks ago, uh, if you were here, we had that story where Jesus gives us his slogan for his ministry, that slogan of, God is here, so change how you live and believe. And through that, he's letting us know that there's a new way of understanding faith and spirituality. That it's not about doing whatever you can to convince God to come near, but recognizing that God's already come near and letting that love and grace pull you into new ways of living and being. Last week, we had that story of Jesus healing the man who was afflicted with an unclean spirit, and through that, teaching us that our power isn't meant to be used for our own benefit, but our power is meant to be used for the benefit of others. And today... We have this story about Jesus and four of his disciples going over to Simon's mother-in-law's house. And curiously enough, for all the Bible geeks out there, this is the only part of the Bible where we hear that some of the disciples have families. Nowhere else is it mentioned. Which makes us wonder if some of the other disciples have families which makes us wonder just what were the disciples leaving behind as they went to follow Jesus for three years, which makes us ask a really hard question that we too, as people who are leaving to follow Jesus, need to ask. How does following Jesus rearrange, reshape, and realign our priorities and our lives? It's a good question. 
Because obviously with this kind of faith and spirituality that Jesus offers us, uh, one that's about letting love lead us forward, this is a reality and tension that we need to live in. So I'll let you chew on that one on your own time. Um, Because again, just like last week, uh, what do we need to leave behind? How does it reshape our priorities? That's not something I can answer for you. That's something that we each need to wrestle with ourselves. So you can put that in your pockets for your drive home. So Jesus and four of his disciples, they go over to Simon's mother-in-law's, uh, who's not named in this story. Uh, but because we'll be spending some time with her today, and because we as a church believe and affirm that women aren't just set pieces and plot devices, uh, let's give her a name. What should we name his mother-in-law? Not rhetorical. Shout it out. Deborah. Okay. Deborah. So we are told that Deborah, poor old Deborah, she's not doing too well. Uh, but it's not a demon like the guy in last week's story. We're just told that she's sick. She's in bed burning up with a fever. And we can relate to that, right? Who hasn't been sick? Uh, no one likes being sick. Being sick is the worst. So Jesus and the guys, they go into the house. They've had a long day, so maybe Simon's like, well, you know what we'll do? We'll go to my house. My mother-in-law will make us some sandwiches. And they're all, cool, let's do that. So they arrive, and Jesus, being the nice house guest that we know he is, um, he wants to meet the mother-in-law and say hi. And so we ask Simon where she is, and Simon says, oh, she's in bed. She's sick. And then Jesus, without saying a word, gets up, goes to the bedroom, and we are told that he lifts her up and he heals her, whereupon she immediately gets up and makes sandwiches for everybody. Now, I don't know about you, but this, this story has always been a strange one for me. And just like last week, the strange part isn't the actual healing. The strange part in this story is that after being healed, Deborah gets up and makes sandwiches for everybody. And I think we all get down on this strangeness, don't we? It's kind of weird, it's off, it's uncomfortable. Because for me, it's strange because she's been sick for God knows how long. And any of us who have been sick, like laid up in bed sick, we know that most of our time being sick is spent imagining all the things we could be doing instead of being sick, right? And after being healed, and we know this is more than just a, oh, my fever is gone kind of heal. This is like, a, I feel like I'm 20 again kind of feeling. I can go and do anything kind of feeling. And the first thing she does is make sandwiches. Sandwiches! I find that so strange. She could go for a run. She could go get an education. But instead, the poor woman gets up and makes sandwiches for Jesus and his friends. So what's going on here? Well, a couple options. Is this just good old patriarchy? Is this just a story of a powerful man healing a powerless woman so she can gratefully get back to the kitchen where she belongs and make some sandwiches? It could be. The Bible is, and let's just own this, the Bible is really patriarchal. 
the Bible was written by and for patriarchal societies. So it is a possibility that this story and the whole sandwich thing could just be a symptom of that. And then we as a community need to wrestle with how we hold that. But before we set up camp there and get too riled up, here's something we need to remember. While the Bible is really patriarchal, Jesus is quite the feminist. Jesus, all throughout his ministry, he actively critiqued and deconstructed patriarchal culture and offered this alternative vision for a new kind of world where men and women and everyone in between were seen and treated as equals. So knowing that Jesus would not be down with healing her just to make sandwiches, we need to look a bit harder at our question. Um, And if we look hard enough, I think we can find something pretty cool something a bit more Jesus-y, something a bit more life-giving, and something tied to a really important truth um, at the heart of the faith and spirituality of Jesus. And that truth is this. To be human is to be spiritual. To be truly human, to be fully alive, is to be fully connected to something bigger than ourselves. Not just to ourselves, not just to each other, but to that very spirit that holds us all together and drives us all forward. To be human is to be a spiritual person. And to get that, we need to go back to Deborah. Because like we said, being sick is the worst, isn't it? No one likes being sick. But the worst part, I think, about being sick, and I know I'm a man and all colds are the worst, But I think we could all agree that the worst part of being sick isn't the physical symptoms. The worst part of being sick is what happens to the other parts of our interiors and beings. It's what happens to our our souls, our minds, our emotions. The worst part of being sick is how it just totally deflates and defeats us. How it takes us off of our groove and takes us away from the kind of life that we know we are meant to live. I mean, let's just put ourselves in the shoes of Deborah. Not only is she all phlegmy and pukey and exhausted and hurting, she's also probably feeling pretty guilty that she's not fulfilling her role as the head of the household. She's probably feeling remorseful at missing out on all the laughter outside of her door. She's probably distraught with questions about, why me, why am I sick? She's probably pretty old, so maybe she's rumbling with questions of mortality and and what to do with the rest of her life. And no doubt, she's probably pretty miffed that that fisherman son-in-law of hers brought company over knowing that she was sick. Which only reinforces the guilt and the shame and the remorse and the resentment. I mean, we get that, don't we? Being sick is the worst. It affects our entire being because it takes us away from the kind of life that deep down in our souls we know we are meant to have. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Do we know that feeling? And I think that feeling, that feeling of being soulfully off, is really helpful to help us tap into what's going on in this story. Because it brings out the the universal elements of what Mark is trying to get us. Uh, And it shows how this story is really our story. Because this story is not about someone being physically sick. 
This is a story about someone being spiritually sick. It's a story about something we all experience, this feeling of a lack of life, which in our tradition we call a lack of wholeness, this feeling of being soulfully off, of being disconnected, of feeling like we're plugged into something that really isn't good for us, that we're living in pieces, that everything is out of whack, that feeling that this is not the life I want, that I'm not meant to live like this, that I'm more dead than I am alive. Are you with me? So if that's what's going on here, if that's what Deborah is experiencing, if that's what Deborah was healed and saved from, then maybe this whole thing um, explains the sandwiches. Because what we see here, what the story is showing us, is the movement of grace. It shows the God who comes into our sickness, our brokenness, our deaths, takes our hands, lifts us up, and brings us back into health, back into wholeness, and back into the life that we are always meant to have. And that life, as Thomas Merton said, is a life of being who you truly are. Which is to say the life living as God made you to be. Yes, a life of being connected, but more importantly, and I think the point here is, a life of being a steward of life and love. A life where your entire being, your entire purpose is oriented towards giving back the same love and life that God gave to you. Deborah didn't serve sandwiches because of patriarchy. She didn't serve sandwiches because there wasn't anything better she could be doing. She served sandwiches because that is who she is. That's how she spreads love and life into the world. And so the question this story leaves us is another big one for us to chew on. When you are sick, when you are lacking wholeness and your soul is defeated and you're feeling deflated and Jesus comes into your life and takes you by the hand and lifts you up, bringing you back into health, back into wholeness, and back into the kind of life you believe you're always meant to have. How will you be a steward of life and love? How will you use the gift that you've been given? What will you do that makes you, you? Is it sandwiches? Great, awesome. Hospitality is beautiful. Is it shoveling the sidewalk of your neighbor? Amazing. Is it creating art? Wonderful. Is it listening and visiting? Gorgeous. Whatever it is that makes you, you, whatever that fire is inside you, whatever voice you are longing to speak out, go and do that. Do whatever it is that makes you, you, and use it to steward love and life into the world. And may you know that you have been lifted out of death for life, and may you go and be a steward of it. And to that we say, Amen.
this last hymn that we're going to sing is one that speaks to our anchor, our faith, our spirituality, and affirms that, yes, we have the anchor that will let us go out and live the life that we were meant to live. So I invite you to stand as you're able and sing with us, Will Your Anchor Hold? And the answer is yes, we have an anchor. (laughs) 